Jesus, we thank you so much for this morning, God. Thank you. Right now, we feel you. Right now, your spirit is here. God, we are overwhelmed, Lord, by you right now, captivated, Lord, by your love. Thank you, God, for meeting us here right now. Thank you for your spirit. Thank you, God, for your touch upon us. We need you so much, Lord. God, we, you are our Jehovah Shalom. You are our peace, God, and right now, that's who you are, Lord. That's what you're giving us, your peace. And Lord, I pray as we open your word that you continue to speak, to touch and bless us, Lord. To continue, God, to give us a strong sense of your presence, Lord. So I pray for your anointing upon your word right now. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Today we're going to continue our study through the book of Revelation. We're going to be in chapter 13. So if you can grab your Bibles and open up to Revelation chapter 13 as we're making our way through this book. Revelation 13. While you're turning there, a couple announcements. Next Sunday is our communion Sunday. So I invite you guys to come back, those of you connected online. Uh, be sure to have your elements ready. And by the way, good morning, everybody. <laughs> Sometimes just rolling in my head. So aloha to you guys online. And thank you guys for coming out. And mahalo to you guys online and taking that time too. But next Sunday, so is our communion Sunday. Just want to put that into your minds. And then one other thing is, you notice when you walked in, we had the, the curtain of plastic here. So uh, if you remember, I don't know when that was, months ago, a car ran into the corner of the building. And so finally, the property management guys have uh, brought someone in, and they're beginning to do some repairs. So I totally forgot how long it's going to take. It's not going to be months. <laughs> I know. So too many things in my, in my plate, yeah? And when you put something in your brain, the other thing fall out, and that's the thing that fell out. So I think it's probably going to be like one month or something like that. So anyway, excuse the uh, construction here, but hey, we can still meet. We can still come here and study God's word and worship him and seek Jesus. So I'm really happy to be able to do that. All right, well, we already prayed. And so Revelation chapter 13, uh, today we're going to continue on who is this Antichrist. That was our title last week. We did part one, and now we're coming into part two as we continue on in our section here in Revelation chapter 13. I read a story about this man who had this pesky mouse problem in his home. It just kept going on and on, and super frustrated his wife was, so she demanded that he catch the pest immediately. But he had only one problem. He had the trap, but no cheese. So he comes up with what he thinks is a good idea. He gets on his laptop. He goes on the internet. He finds a picture of cheese, a slice of cheese. He prints it out, cuts it out, and puts inside the trap. Well, the next morning, he checks on the trap. And with a big smile on his face, it seems he indeed fooled the mouse with this fake cheese in the trap. But as he got closer and on closer inspection, the man was very surprised to find that he had failed. For in the cage was only a picture of the mouse. (laughs) I like that one. Well, we know that Satan, he likes to take the things of God and replace it with fakes. Remember we were talking about last week, he likes to mimic God and the things that he does. He he likes to copy so he can redirect hearts to really his evil purposes. I mean, think about this. I mean, remember how Jesus is the light of the world? He leads people to the truth of God and salvation in him. Well, Satan, we know in 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen appears as an angel of light. Why? To lead people away from that truth of God. I mentioned last week that God is a trinity, a triune God, right? The Father, the Son, Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit. Well, Satan mimics that, and that's what we're in the middle of here, right? He mimics the Holy Trinity with the unholy trinity, the devil, the Antichrist, and the false prophet, which we'll talk about next week. 
We know that God sent his son as Savior and Lord, but then Satan sends his counterfeit Savior, the Antichrist. What? To redirect the world to worship him as their king and God. You know, uh, I didn't give this to you before, but the Greek word for Antichrist in the Bible is actually made up of two words. The first word is anti, uh, which we understand. In the Greek, it means in place of, or it can mean in opposition to, or like against. And we understand that. In Christ, we know that means the anointed one or the Messiah in the Greek there. So in the end times, This is the Antichrist, Satan's man, who steps in place of where Jesus should be in the hearts of people in the world. And I want you to just capture that thought for a moment, because that's what we're going to be unfolding even more and continuing on, as we saw last week. Now, last week we covered who is this Antichrist, part one. And we looked at Revelation 13 from verse 1 through 4. And you remember our outline here is number one, the Antichrist. Who is he? He's the one who will come to rule the world. That was the first thing we saw, right? We saw, we see now the Antichrist rises up on the world stage and becomes a leader of a godless global government. That was one of our points. And then we saw last week, number two in the outline, that the Antichrist, he's the one who the world will come to worship, right? He's already won favor of the world, becoming the world leader. And then he wins the hearts of the world. How? Do you remember? He fakes his death and fakes his resurrection, I believe. And then the whole world begins to worship him. And not only that, they even worship Satan as he acknowledges that's the power behind him. So last week we saw number one, the one who will come to rule the world, and number two, the one who the world will come to worship. But it doesn't stop here. Our outline goes on, and we go on in who is this worship, who is this Antichrist, part two, and we're going to pick up Revelation chapter 13 from verse 5 through 10, from verse 5 through 10 in the rest of this section. And as we go on, we're, we're going to see number three in our outline, the one who will turn the world against God. And then number four, as we go on in this section, the one who the world will turn over their lives. So you get a peek of what we're going to be looking at in the rest of this passage. So Let's go to here, Revelation chapter 13. Uh, We're going to look at number three in the outline now. The one who will turn the world against God. Now, in this section, we're going to cover verses five and six, if you're taking notes. Uh, Let's go ahead and take a look at what it says there. Verse five, Revelation 13, it says, And the beast was given a mouth, uttering haughty and blasphemous words, and it was allowed to exercise authority for 42 months. And then verse 6, it opened its mouth to utter blasphemies against God, blaspheming his name and his dwelling, that is those who dwell in heaven. So we'll stop there. So we begin here now as we come into verse 5. Now John is continuing to write. He's the author, John the Apostle. God gave him the prophecies here that we are reading in the book of Revelation. So he he begins here and continuing to write how the beast now. Remember the beast is the name of the Antichrist in the book of Revelation. So when you see the, 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 the beast here, Uh, uh, This is the Antichrist. Now this beast we see in verse 5, he was given a mouth. In other words, Satan was giving him what to say. Satan was empowering him. Satan was really speaking through the Antichrist. Remember, they're they're team evil, right? The Antichrist, uh, Satan, and we're going to see the false prophet. They're team evil here during the tribulation. And so Satan's right there giving him this mouth. And this mouth that he has, it speaks. It is uttering haughty haughty and blasphemous words. Hadi means boastful. It's boastful words. He, he, like, he like talks up himself and talks down God. Blasphemous words really speak about unholy words about the holy God with really false statements 
And I believe he's accusing God of not being holy, of doing wrong. Back in Daniel chapter 11, verse 36, he also mentions this, and it says there, And the king shall do as he wills. He shall exalt himself and magnify himself above every god, and shall speak astonishing things against the god of gods. He shall prosper till the indignation is accomplished, for what is decreed shall be done. But did you hear that? In Daniel 11, In verse 36, it talked about how he shall speak astonishing things, like shocking things. He's going to say things about God that's just, what? You know, like today we'd be like, well, how could anyone really even say this? So in Revelation here in our first part, now right away we see what he will do. What he will do. And here's the first thing I want you to to capture here. The Antichrist will publicly slander God and say many false things to conspire against God. That's what he's doing. That's what's going on. He's beginning to, to get into people's minds even more. Even more. And change their look about their, their uh, perspective about God. You know, this has been Satan's motive from the beginning, right? To bring doubt about God. To start maybe rumors about God. Remember what the serpent said in the garden in Genesis chapter 3? I mean, when he came to Eve, basically he was saying, Did God really say that? Did, did he really say, Oh, no, that's not what he meant. He did, but, you know, that's not what he really meant. You know, he's just hiding something from you. You know, if you eat of the fruit, oh, you, you'll become wise like them. He's hiding that, right? So do you know, I was thinking about this, where the first conspiracy theory came from? Right there, Genesis chapter 3. And it, it was about God, and it was given by Satan. Oh, child of God, do you understand why it's so important to study God's word that as we gather together on Wednesday and Sunday that it's so important you know why because Satan is the master of misinformation he knows how to get to you. he knows how to put some things into your mind to lead you astray from God that's why it's so important that we read study this book right here all right so now in the second part of verse 5 we see that it was allowed, it meaning the beast, was allowed to exercise authority for 42 months. He was able to do this for 42 months. Now where it says it was, the beast was allowed, that really speaks of God's sovereignty and his sovereign control and allowing Satan to do this. This is the end times. This is, this is the last seven years in the tribulation. So God's allowing this Antichrist to be empowered in speaking for Satan, he allowed this Antichrist to take this authority. And what this speaks about is, remember, he's, he's the world leader here, right? And so people are looking up to him. People respect him. Pe- people favor him. So he's given this authority by Satan to powerfully influence and deceive the world. That's what he's talking about. He's up there not just ruling politically, but he's ruling the minds. He's going to be ruling spiritually. He's going to be pulling uh, everyone's mind in. So he's given, he's allowed that authority to powerfully influence and deceive the world. But praise the Lord, we read here in verse 5 that he will only be allowed by God for 42 months. We've seen that before. What is that, church? Three and a half years, right? 1,260 days. We've seen this in the book of Revelation. And this is the last half of the tribulation. The last three and a half years of the tribulation, which matches the same amount of time like Daniel said in what we read in Revelation, when the Antichrist declares himself God, standing in that Jewish temple, right? And, and has the whole world worship him. So that's the time frame. But praise God that... God will only allow three and a half years. And take note of that. Take note of that. God will allow this for only 42 months. Not a day longer. Not a minute longer. Because you know what happens then? 
Jesus returns. Jesus comes back and ends it all. I like that thought. Let's just stop and think about that. That he was allowed, yes, but it was only for a certain time frame. And that's our sovereign God who works in our life today. Maybe that's a word for you today. Maybe you come in here and you've been under a lot of oppression and a lot of troubles and trials and attacks and things have been going on. And maybe like me, you just, you just hate Satan. Yeah. You hate what he's doing. But you know what? God, he knows how much you can handle. Yeah. First uh, Corinthians 10, 17, right? 13, 10, 13. You, you, you guys, you know that. And so knowing God's sovereign plan and his purposes, what he does is very limited. And after he, Paul, Jesus will come. Jesus will come. I like something uh, uh, Johnny Erickson taught us in. Nothing is a surprise to God. Nothing is a setback to his plans. Nothing can thwart his purposes. And nothing is beyond his control. Amen? See what is written here in front of you. God is still and always in control. And he will not allow those things to go on forever. All right. Verse 6 now. It goes on. And we see what he will say. First, we see what he will do in verse 5, what the Antichrist will do. He'll spread this misinformation about God and Jesus. So what is it? What will the Antichrist say? Well, he opened its mouth, in verse 6, to utter blasphemies against God. He's going to speak things against God. He's going he's to go against the Lord. Well, in, in, in what way? How does he go against the Lord God? Well, blasphemy, first of all, his name. So he speaks against God's name, and God's name is God's character. God's name talks about who he is, his attributes and all. We know the names of God, right, in the Bible. We know how, how he is the creator, Elohim, right? He, he's the Lord God Almighty. He's eternal. We know his name means he's holy and righteous. We know that his name is uh, uh, merciful also. We know God is in his attributes is gracious and he, his, he is love. And so here's the Antichrist blaspheming, speaking against God's name, attacking really God's character, assassinating, we use that word, right? Oh, he assassinated my character. Well, that's what the Antichrist is going to do. And then secondly, in verse 6, we see that he will also blaspheming uh, his dwelling. And what is his dwelling? Where is he? What's that? That's heaven. He's going to perhaps maybe accuse God. Maybe, oh, he's up there in heaven. Heaven's not like what, you know, they're saying or what God says it is. You know, he's really up there. He's hiding out in his ivory tower. They're not caring about you. Remember, put in your minds... Perhaps during this time, the Antichrist is going to use all the calamity and things that are going on to tell the people of the world that, hey, see, God doesn't care. See, God, God's just doing this stuff to you, right? And so perhaps maybe that's part of it in speaking against heaven. Maybe even saying, heaven's not like what you think it is. Heaven's not like what, what you've been told. And then he speaks against those who dwell in heaven. That's speaking about the believers and even including angels. Maybe he's twisting things about what's going on there. Maybe, you know what I was thinking about? Perhaps maybe the Antichrist, like today, right? People talk about all the rich, the what is it? The 3% or whatever, something like that, right? Oh, yeah, they, they get everything, you know, all that. Look at those guys. They're the privileged, right? They, they're so proud. They're thinking they're just the privileged with the angels while we suffer down here. They think they're above us. Perhaps it could be things like that. I don't know. I was kind of relating it to things that are said in the world. But all in all, he will put God as the bad guy and Satan as the good guy. Things are being flipped around here. So this is what he will say. And here's the second thing to understand. The Antichrist will push the false thinking that God is not really what you've been told all this time. That's really what he's doing. He's going to be pushing that. Ah, God's not like that. He's going to push the false thinking that God is not really what you've been told all this time. Now, 
I think, in addition to what I mentioned to you, and perhaps even uh, attacking Jesus and who he is and his character, I, I think we, we can get an idea from First John. Throughout the ages, John writes in First John that, that there's been a push to, to, to attack the person of Jesus Christ and that the final an- Antichrist is going to be the ultimate guy who's, who's going to say all this stuff. And we know in 1 John that John says, you know, that spirit of Antichrist has been in the world. And there's been Antichrist, uh, like the final one that's coming, that they deny that Jesus is God. They deny that Jesus came in the flesh as a man. And to say those things, you know what that means? It means that Jesus is not the Messiah. Jesus is not the Savior. Jesus is not God come to the earth to die for us. Since that's not Jesus. And maybe some even feel in some of these passages in First John that they even deny Jesus' second coming. And perhaps that's part of the deception and and, and what the Antichrist and the blasphemy that he's saying is, oh, yeah, they talk about Jesus coming. He's not going to come. I mean, of course, they talk about how Satan's so angry that he knows the end is coming. But I think maybe he even thinks he could change it. And he's so dis- deceiving himself even. You see, with the, this powerful deception, like we read in Second Thess- Thessalonians 2.10 last time, the Antichrist will end up leading the world against God. They actually hate God. They actually not want God. That's why, and we're going to see this in Revelation 16, when the, when the pouring out of the bowl judgments, we're going to see several times that the people of the, of the world, when these judgments fall, they're cursing God. Can you imagine that? They're cursing Him, holding their fists up, Cursing him. Cursing God. And they did not repent. This is how powerful Satan will be through the Antichrist influencing the world. So see the progression here. We saw first the Antichrist, he rises up, the favored world leader. He becomes he comes to rule a one world government. And then we saw on our second uh, part of this chapter here that the Antichrist wins the hearts of the world, right? And the world just bows down to worship him, even Satan, and acknowledging Satan. But the progression goes on farther because the next step in Satan's plan, and this is our outline heading and our point here, is the Antichrist will be the one who turns the world against God. To me, that as you know, this explains why they're, they're so antagonistic against God. Even with the judgments. You know, today, if things happen, if, if, if bad happens, like um, recently uh, we um, uh, memorialized again, right, the uh, 9-11, right? Uh, we, we, it was on the news, or shows and everything. And I remember when that happened, and when 9-11 happened, the whole country was in shock, and we were in fear, and we didn't know what to... You know, the churches were filled, you know, packed at capacity. Whenever something bad happens, we, we tend to run to God. We tend to uh, think about maybe we did some sin or its consequences. So many people repent and turn to God when bad things happen, but not during these years because of the influence and deception of Satan and the Antichrist. Now, remember last week I mentioned to you that this study on the Antichrist is not to figure out who this person actually is, like name is name. And, and I, I, I feel like since we're so close to the tribulation coming that he's probably on the earth right now. Who is he, Rick? Who is he, Pastor Rick? Um, I already told you my guess. But I'm not saying that's who he is, okay? But that's not what this study is about, remember? Right? We're not, we're not about, this, you know, about seeking the Antichrist, but seeking Jesus Christ. Amen? But we do study this. Remember I mentioned, 
It, so that we can understand the times that we live in, these crazy times, especially right now. And it helps us to make sense of what's going on, of, 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 of how the world is being prepared for this time. I mean, th- that's what, how I see things. As I study this and read this, and hopefully you get that uh, as we're going through Revelation, that it's helping us to make sense and not be so, well, this is not, this is, no, this is what's supposed to happen and is going to happen, especially if we're heading this way. Yeah? And you know what? It all means that Jesus is going to come back for us soon and we'll be home in the rapture, right? But to help make sense of this, this, this is as we see that the Antichrist will be the one who turns the world against God in this manner. Then think about what's going on right now. I, I couldn't remember. I, I might have shared this to you off the cuff a couple weeks ago, but I, I, I think it's a good time if I did to bring it up again. If not, then hey, this is the first time. Last summer, just last summer, the IRS denied a Christian nonprofit group in Texas applying for a uh, nonprofit status. The IRS did, denied their application. And you know what they said? In their reply, they said, The Bible's teachings are typically affiliated with the Republican Party and candidates. So they denied the nonprofit status. One month later, I was happy to see there was another article that the IRS did reverse their decision. I think some congressperson or something got upset uh, after that appeal by, was made by this group. But, and, and it made national news, all of this. And I thought, this is so crazy. But let me read to you what the IRS went to say as far as earlier. Earlier, they also added this. Specifically, you educate Christians on what the Bible says in areas where they can be instrumental, including the areas of sanctity of life, the definition of marriage, biblical justice, freedom of speech, defense, and borders and immigration, and U.S. and Israel relations. Isn't that crazy? Well, yeah, I mean, we're going to make decisions and we vote according to what's in here, and in those issues, which are a lot of it is sliding into a political thing and not a moral issue anymore, right? Some things are sliding from, from a, a, a moral issue into a race, quote-unquote, issue. It's crazy. So if you and I as believers hold to certain beliefs because the Bible says we are beginning to be accused of making it a political agenda. Can you see what's going on right now? Can you see what's happening already? How crafty the devil is, making the truth of God into some political agenda so people could be against you, so people could Hey, you think about this. There's a lot of animosity and hostility against Christians today because we hold to beliefs here. And it, but that's turned into a political agenda. And then there's a lot more hatred for Christians because of that. Guess what the next step is? If they hate Christians right now, what's the next step? They're going to hate God. They're going to hate Jesus. They're going to hate who we really stand for. Our world is changing fast, you guys. And sadly, the definition of what a Christian is no longer means I'm a follower of Jesus. No longer. It's about this political party. It's about, oh, uh, oh, uh, you're a Christian? You must have voted for Trump. Right? And that's so sad when that was going on to me. I thought, I don't want to be known for who I voted for. I want to be known for... Jesus Christ. I have Jesus Christ. And I'll tell you, it seems some Christians are only making things worse by the way they are handling the social and political issues we face today. And I feel like they're, fall, they're playing into Satan, being used to turn people from God. We're supposed to bring hope. But sometimes, I'm sorry, we bring hostility instead. Understand, though, this is all a part of a shift in values, a shift in how the world sees Jesus. 
the Bible, a shift in how the world looks at God. And it's Satan's doing. To where we're reading today in Revelation 13, there's going to come a point where God is the bad guy. Satan is the good guy. God doesn't care. Oh, Satan and Antichrist, he, he's the one who cares for us. And so, the Antichrist will turn the world against God. There's this shift going on. Remember, this is exactly what was said in Isaiah chapter 5, verse 20. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Do you see that? Things are getting flipped around, upside down. And I'll tell you, don't get caught up in that. Don't get caught up in that. We're going to talk more about that next time. So who is this Antichrist? Well, he's the one who will come to rule the world. He's the one who the world will come to worship. And we just saw he's the one who will turn the world against God. And now we come to number four in our outline. Our last heading in this section is the Antichrist, basically number four, is the one who the world will turn over their lives. Now we're going to be covering the rest of this section here Uh, In chapter 13, that's verses 7 through 12. But first of all, take a look at verse 7. Verse 7. Also, it was allowed to make war on the saints and to conquer them. And authority was given it over every tribe and people and language and nation. We'll stop there. Now again, it is the beast, which is the Antichrist. And the Antichrist was allowed to. There, again, that word saying in God's sovereignty, he allowed him to do this. And he was allowed to make war on the saints. The saints is the believers, right? Believers in Jesus Christ and more specifically, the tribulation saints. So the Antichrist was allowed to persecute tribulation saints. Remember, we've talked about this before. When the rapture happens before the seven years of tribulation, there's no believers on earth. Right at that moment. But I'm sure family and friends and people who know you and you've talked to them about them, you know, all of a sudden, whoa, this is real. This is true. I think that's going to be the greatest witness where they are going to be drawn to Jesus and give their life to Jesus. Now, it's going to be a super hard time. But these are those ones that we've been studying through the book of Revelation. These are what we call the tribulation saints. So the Antichrist was allowed to totally persecute these guys. And then verse 7, it says, and to conquer them. That means to go capture them and put them to death. So this will be a time of persecution like never before. Remember, Satan's angry, right? Remember this first section of this pause between uh, the pouring out judgments and the seventh trumpet being blown, and God gave us an overview of Satan and everything. Remember at the end of that section in chapter 12, verse 17, right? He lost the war, he was defeated in heaven, and he was losing the war on the earth. And then verse 17 in Revelation 12, you can look at that. It says, Then the dragon became furious with the woman, which is Israel, went off to make war on the rest of her offspring, which I believe is the tribulation saints. So he's angry. So he's he, now using Antarctica. He's totally going after believers. But let me add this to what we're reading. Let me say not only the Antichrist, but in their loyalty to the Antichrist, the world will join in on the persecution. The world's going to join in on this too, right? They have been turned against God. Well, now they're going to turn against God's uh, people, God's saints. You know, over in Mark chapter 13, verse 12 and 13, Jesus said, And brother will deliver brother over to death, and the father his child, and children will rise rise against parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. And, of course, that covers persecution throughout the ages, of course. But in this time, it's going to be even more worse 
than before. Family's going to turn on family. Friends are going to turn on friends. That's how divided the world is going to be. Even in Matthew chapter 24, which is where Jesus was talking about the end times. And you could turn there if you like. Matthew chapter 24, verse 9 and 10. He says a similar thing. Matthew 24, 9. He says, Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then verse 10. And then many will fall away and betray uh, betray one another and hate one another. That, that's that world. This, this is how, how much influence, how much deception, how powerful Satan and the demons and his demonic and satanic influence is going to be that the whole world will definitely be divided. So, the first, back to Revelation 13, the first thing to see here is the Antichrist will be allowed to go all out and slaughter many believers of Jesus. It's going to be a crazy time. That's why it's going to be so hard to be a Christian during this time. There's going to be a lot of challenges. There's going to be a lot of things going on and certainly going to be facing death. I was reading a Facebook post by... Um, David Corson, and um, he, he's, uh, he was on island for a while, South Calvary, Maui. I think he's on Vanuatu doing some mission work. But he, he was writing about his friends in Afghanistan, and they're, like, hiding out. They're in fear. Uh, the, uh, the Taliban are taking children away from families, and they're just hiding out uh, a fear of their own life right now. And I just, I was going to read it to you, but I didn't bring it. But anyway, it's crazy. I mean, right now, what's going on there? Well, think about this. With the whole world now going on, not just in Afghanistan. Think about the whole world. Think about where, where we live today. Think about every country, every place. There's going to be this divide. And this is what I want you to get. With this going on, this is the time in the tribulation that a clear line is drawn in the sand. It's going to be worldwide. It's not just one country. It's not just one area. But a very clear line is going to be drawn in the sand. And basically, there's going to be two groups of people on the earth. The follower of the Antichrist and the follower of Jesus Christ. No in-betweens. It's either or. Nothing else that's what it's going to be like today some people are like oh yeah i believe in jesus but they live like they they want yeah oh yeah i'm, I'm a christian but they don't really follow the bible or not really committed to jesus or maybe there's some christians who's who backslid and and they're 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 back in the world and you know and and so we see ah maybe sort of like someone in between but then it's going to be super clear and the lines will be drawn very hard. And so verse 7, the second part tells us that this will happen like this because the Antichrist is given the authority over every tribe, people, language, and nation, really talking about the whole world. He will be empowered by Satan to have this kind of control over him where he can call the world to turn in their own family to turn in their neighbors this is very very powerful evil control and influence and the deception deception that's gone out the world just embraces it so the second thing here from that second part of verse 7 is the whole world embraces the powerful deception about the antichrist 2 Corinthians 4.4, remember, says how Satan today blinds people, the world, right? Well, that's what's going to happen. Let me read to you 2 Corinthians 4.4. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. That's what's going on. But I believe in a more intense and he's manipulated the whole world, everybody, except the believers. 
It's, it's going to be crazy, crazy time. Now look at verse 8. And all who dwell on earth will worship it. Everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who was slain. We'll stop there. So what happens is, is even more so, the whole world, all who dwell on the earth. Isn't that interesting? Where it says all, everybody in the world, of course except believers, right? But all who dwell on the earth will worship the beast, the Antichrist. Now, this is not just what we saw back in verse 4 last week. You remember how the world worshipped the dragon, Satan, and I talked about that, how Oh, shocking that is. Well, everyone becomes Satanist. But I've talked about how and why, right? And, and they also worship the beast, the Antichrist we saw in verse 4. It's not just that. But here God, he, he gives us an interesting way of distinguishing these unbelievers. And I, I, and I believe he's trying to say something to us here. These are the ones, these unbelievers, these who worship the Antichrist, are those whose names are not written. Their, their name isn't entered, registered in this book. Their names are not written before the foundation of the world. Now, that refers to Ephesians 1.4, talking about how we've been believers, we've been chosen from eternity past, and that's another subject for another day. If you don't understand it, come up, talk to me after that. Uh, we've done plenty of messages as we've been studying our Bible about that. But basically, the unbelievers aren't entered into this book. Their names who worship the Antichrist, these guys are not found in the book of life of the Lamb who was slain. This book of life of the Lamb, of Jesus, Jesus who died on the cross, who who saved, is a registry of everyone who is saved. Everyone who has believed in Christ and his death and resurrection, believes he is God come in the flesh. True believers, their names are entered into this book. So in other words, this is the book of the saved. Yeah. So the people, the world, all in the world, who worship the Antichrist, they're not listed in there. And God makes a distinction and presents it in that way. Why? Listen to how the NLT translates this. I I like this. It says, And all the people who belong to this world worship the beast. They are the ones whose names were not written in the book of life that belongs to the Lamb. So I keyed in on that. Those who worship the Antichrist do not belong to the family of God, but belong to Satan. So God makes this clear distinction. He makes it very clear about all the world. Remember back in verse 3 of this chapter, where at the end of the verse it says, as they followed the beast, the Antichrist. And that word follow means to give allegiance to. So in the worship, in in the world's worship to the Antichrist, they actually give their all to the Antichrist, to Satan here. And that's what I believe God is talking about. They're like worshiping Satan, but not just worship, but they're like giving yeah, their lives, surrendering their lives. We think, how can they do that? How can, they, how can anyone do that? I mean, we think about today's days, like, oh, you sold your soul to Satan. There's evil people, yeah, in that way. Or some people think, oh, yeah, there's some music groups and uh, musicians and actors who sold their soul to Satan. And so that's why, how they got famous, yeah. But all the world, all the world, how can that be? Why, why would they follow? Why, why would they worship in that way? Why would they? There's such a distinction that they belong to the Antichrist. Well, in my studies, I felt like this. The Antichrist is really everything they want to be. 
Now, follow me on this. I believe the world is going to see the Antichrist as the highest level of evolution. Yeah. Right? I mean, right? I mean, the evolution theory, right? Oh, started from the cell, became an amoeba. Yeah. Some sea creature and fish and an amphibian, reptile, maybe bird or something, you know, and then animal became uh, ape and monkey, ape, and then look at man. But in that evolutionary thought, man has to continue to evolve, right? I mean, we've seen shows on TV that speculate on this, right? They'll evolve with what? Even today, if that's popular, powers, right? Certain powers. Think about the Antichrist. Oh, he rose from the dead, right? He's powerful. He, he can do things. We're going to see some, some more things. Remember we read in 1 Thessalonians 2.10 that, that, and 9 that Satan does these lying wonders, right? These, these miracles. Think about the shows. I'm connecting this with the shows we see today, yeah? Oh, you know, the Fantastic Four, whatever, you know. Uh, these people who have powers, you know, Marvel Comics. Think about that. Oh, here's the Antichrist. He's, he's risen to the highest level of evolution. He'll probably capture the hearts of the Hindus, yeah? Oh, he's been reincarnated to this level now, right? Oh, with the Buddhists, he reached nirvana, enlightenment. Oh, he's so wise. He knows everything. He, he's arrived, yeah? Or he's, he's ascended, right? He's reached that ascension. And you know what? That's where the aliens are, right? Right? Oh, they've ascended into this being. And evolved. Think about that. And now, here's this man that has become a god. Right? A New Age thought, or even the Mormons, right? A god. Oh, and we worship him as God. So that Antichrist becomes this example of how a person can become, evolve into a God, a God with powers. He's the man of the hour. He's the, he's the highest point of humanism. Listen to this. Henry Morris in his commentary in Revelation wrote this. Here is humanism gone mad. Man desires human autonomy and so concludes that man himself is the pinnacle attained by the cosmic process of evolution and thus that man himself is God. And then later, uh, Morris said, in thus worshiping the world's greatest man, talking about the Antichrist, he is subliminally worshiping himself. So all this is to say this is what the world does. They they, they look at the Antichrist. They want to be like the Antichrist. So they give in to the Antichrist religion or philosophy or who he is. And basically, just as we come to our point here, which is our heading, the beast who is the Antichrist will be the one in the world who will, who, uh, the, the, excuse me, the Antichrist will be the one the world will turn over their lives. They're going to, Commit to the Antichrist. And I mentioned to you last time too, and, and we'll see this um, in our studies in the rest of the chapter about the mark. That's what the mark reflects. Is they're giving their life to the Antichrist. They're, they're, they want to be followers. They want to belong to what he belongs to. They give that allegiance. You know what's interesting? Way back, Paul Henry Spack, a prime minister of Belgium, and he was the early planners of what we call today the EU, the European Union. And he was the first president of the United Nations General Assembly. You know what he said way back then? He said, we do not want another committee. We have too many already. What we want is a man of sufficient stature to hold the allegiance of all the people and to lift us up out of the economic morass into which we are sinking. Send us such a man, and whether he be God or devil, we will receive him. Now remember, Satan likes to mimic, copy God, right? And think about this, just as believers receive Jesus into our hearts, yeah? 
That's what's going to be there. That's what it's heading toward. The world will receive into their lives the Antichrist. They will turn their lives over to him. There's going to be a strong distinction in the sand, a line in the sand one day in the world. I think it's important for you and I today to know where do we stand. Where are we in all of this? Remember Jesus said, whoever is not with me is against me, right? Where are you? Are you really with Jesus? Let's finish up here quickly on verse 9 and 10. So then God comes in and, and, and he really gives a call out here. Verse 9, he says, If anyone has an ear, let him hear. If anyone is to be taken captive, to captivity he goes. If anyone is to be slain with the sword, with the sword must he be slain. Here is a call for the endurance and faith of the saints. So the chapter ends with, with these two verses where it's God making appeal here. And, and I feel like during the tribulation, the, tri- the, the tribulation saints, the believers at that time, they're going to have their Bibles, right? And they're going to be studying it really hard. And, they're, and, and probably they may be even living through this time that we just talked about, this persecution. And so God's saying, hey, if anyone have ears, you know, let him hear. Let him, if you have ears, really listen to what I'm saying here. Understand either what's coming or understand, you know, what's going to happen in the end. Understand so that you would endure and have faith. I thought it's interesting how it says, if anyone has an ear, let him hear. And then I feel like something's missing here. Do you remember that last time we saw something like this was way back in chapter 3, verse 22 of Revelation. And where Jesus says, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. But it seems here it just stops before what the Spirit says to the churches. What's missing? Just a note, I think. The church is gone from the earth, so it's not really for them. They're gone from the earth in the rapture at this point, for sure. So God wants to encourage believers, I believe, was reading this during that time. And basically, he's saying, look, if you're ta- been taken captive, if, you, if when you're taken captive... You know what, the person who takes you captive, they'll be taken captive by God. If, if, if anyone's slain with the sword, you know what, that person who, who killed you with the sword, he will be slain by God. So God calls on believers, knowing that there will be justice, to keep going through the super tough times. To keep going, he's, he's calling people for endurance and faith of those tribulation saints. So we end with this thought, no matter what the Antichrist or Satan does, justice will come to them in the end. And that's what we trust. I know sometimes even in the world we live in today, even in maybe what you're facing personally, maybe there's a lot of injustice being done, or, but know this, that God, in the end, he will bring the justice. John Calvin said, we must suffer patiently because impatience is rebellion against the justice of God. I like that. So we hold to the promise in God's word that God will bring justice, whether now or later, for sure. So as we come to a close here, we must endure, you guys. We must keep going in faith. I think that's word is for us too. That no matter the trouble, hostility, persecution we may face today because we stand on this. And, and, and no, no matter what, if the world thinks we're, we're, we're Republican or whatever we are, yeah, because we're holding to the principles here on the issues, the social issues and, and uh, laws that are being passed. We must endure and have faith and understand that what we see, the changes we're seeing in society, the world right now, today, in, in, in this time we live in, you know what? It's only a preparation for what's 
coming. So let me bring this back. Where are you in this line? In the line that's being drawn in the sand. It's, it's, it's being drawn even more so today. Where are you? Will you endure? Will you keep Jesus the main thing and keep Jesus important and cling to him? Which side of, are you? Understand, even today, there's no in-between. I'll close with this. By March 5th of 1896, Colonel William Barrett Travis had known for several days that his situation inside the old Spanish mission called the Alamo was not good. Several thousand of the Mexican General Santana had Travis and his 189 guys surrounded. The young Texas colonel, you know, he was only 26 years old, gathered his team that Saturday afternoon and gave them a speech. He basically said, you know what, we have three possibilities. One, surrender, face execution. Number two, try and fight our way out, but most likely we'll be butchered by the Mexican sword. Or remain in this fort, resist every assault, and die defending this place. So then Colonel Travis took out his sword and drew a line in the dirt. And he said, anyone willing to fight and die for their country on this side of the line with me. They all went over, all but two. One French soldier decided to be left behind. And the other one was a man who lay sick on his bed, but he asked for someone to move his cot over the line to join the men. And we know the story, yeah. They were committed all the way to the end to their death. That's how far we've got to be willing to go for Jesus. To stand on the truths that are in his word. What we know is real. To understand that Satan is this deceiver. And if he, if he can get to you, he's going to make you not go over the line to where Jesus is. So which side will you stand? One day the Antichrist is going to pull everyone over to his line. He's going to deceive, manipulate. He's going to get everyone to receive him in their hearts to give turn to turn their lives over to him. And that's the same thing Satan's doing today and even more so. So now you know. If someone asks you about the Antichrist, Share these things we learned last week, today. Now you know how to answer anyone who asks, who is this Antichrist? Let's pray. Jesus, as we take what we're learning today, you also, through your spirit, convict our hearts, God, Lord, you convict us on the compromise we've been making. Crossing over the line back to where we shouldn't be. Doing things, thinking things in our mind, holding things in our heart, attitudes that shouldn't be there. God, help us to come to you and repent of them. Not to nurture it or keep it there, but to get rid of it. And Lord, when I hear about the line that's drawn in the sand and to come over to your side, to me it's about giving up my sins and my old habits and not giving into the flesh anymore. No more compromise, but to be full out, full on for you, Jesus to be willing to go all the way to suffer persecution and even death if it comes to that. For you, Jesus. Lord, with what we learned today, we see what's going on in our world right now. The time that we live in is the craziest ever. But it's all in preparation for what's to come. And seeing this, knowing that the world is getting set up 
to receive, to turn their lives over to worship the Antichrist and Satan. We see this. It helps us understand, but it helps us to know that, Jesus, you'll be here really, really soon. So, God, between now and then, before you come, let our days that are left here on this earth be for you. Not me, not self, not pride, not my glory, but for you, Jesus. And may each one of us hold up our light, your light, really high. It may have burned bright for you, Jesus, not tainted by this vessel at all. But may the oil of your spirit feed the light of Jesus in my life. So here we are, God. Here we are. We choose you. We stand with you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all stand.